You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, famous, famous passage. Uh, Jesus saw the multitudes and uh, he went up on a mountain and called his apostles to be with him. Now, it doesn't say specifically that the multitude followed him, but I think they did. And I think he just kind of wanted them to get out of town so they could, to, could concentrate on what he wanted to teach. And what he wanted to teach was so different from what was being practiced by the spiritual, if you could call it that, leaders of the day. I mean, they were in, like any other political party, like any other people who were power hungry, they loved being in charge. In fact, they so loved being in charge, they had become a political party. <laughs> How things change, eh? that had taken over the government. They called themselves Pharisees. When they began, they were, they were the good people, but you know, power corrupts and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. And now they represented at the most 4% of the people. The, the Amchretz, you gotta get that out. Uh, which means the poor people of the land represented at least 93%. Pharisees would have nothing to do with them. They believed if you were poor, you were cursed of God, which meant every Pharisee was rich because he had to be in order to be a Pharisee. So they, of course, would preach riches and power. My, how times have changed. And the poor people heard Jesus gladly. So this congregation would not have been a congregation of the rich and famous, but a congregation of poor people who, for the first time, were hearing some incredibly good news. Incredibly good news. But how strange it was. Jesus takes them up and he begins by saying, and oh, by the way, I need to tell you this right off the bat. Have you ever heard, don't raise your hands, but have you ever heard someone say, God didn't promise you happiness? You know? Yes, he did. I'm going to prove it right here. This word blessed is the same word for happy. And it was a coin toss, you might say, by the translators whether we would use the word blessed or happy. So I'm going to use happy. And he starts off saying, of all things, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, you got to also understand that the poor in spirit and the real poor were the vast majority of the people anyway. And God loves people, so you're going to find him where the people are and where the people will hear. And interestingly enough, Jesus makes a statement that kind of gives us a clue, or the Bible does, it says that, the, that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's pretty direct, isn't it? 
But Jesus also said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When I'm around people who are not of um, humility, I'm always a little concerned because they usually have something that they want to do with my life that I might not want to have happen. But you, Jesus says, no, you, you come to me and you'll find rest. So really what he's saying here is happy are the humble. Happy are the humble. Now the world will not tell you this. It was a whole new thing. They would have said, and this was the kind of position taken because Jesus said that the Pharisees love to be seen in public and greeted in public and have the top, uh, the, the, the seats, first seats at the banquet and so forth and to wear wrong robes and the like. Ah, But the poor people didn't do that and couldn't even. They might have been killed if they even tried to without being a Pharisee. Ah. And Jesus called them hypocrites. Interesting. So not only are we the vast number if we're poor in spirit or humble, that we also then are only going to be the ones left to inherit the earth anyway. Another interesting thing about this is that Jesus had a favorite group of people. Now, I've heard people say God has no favorites. Well, that's not true. He does. Children. Children. He said, you let the children come to me because that's what the kingdom is made of. In fact, if you want to be in the kingdom, you'd better be like a child. And, and children are, are who they are, you know, which is really what humility is. They, they put on no pretenses. A child is who they are. If they're happy, they can't pretend they're sad. Have you noticed that? If they're sad, they can't pretend they're happy. I remember years ago, my son, when he was small, was crying. And I asked him, why are you crying? And I, he told me, and I fixed the situation, and he kept crying. I said, why are you crying now? He said, Dad, I just feel like crying. I said, you go right ahead and cry all you want to, child. But the thing about being humble or poor in spirit is it is a source of peace and rest and thus happiness in your heart because, I mean, you have nothing to be responsible for, so to speak, in this world. And others can feel comfortable in your presence, which is fascinating. But blessed are the poor in spirit, or happy are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And, oh, Jesus said that specifically. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, mourning has several stages to it. There are some things we mourn, like uh, losing our keys or our credit card, but that's minor mourning, and that's minor comfort. <laughs> you may think it's great comfort, but it's minor, but oh, the thing to mourn for is your sins, you know. When you realize what you have done with your life, what you have done to others, what you have done to God, that creates for you the greatest mourning that you can do and the greatest comfort that you will ever have because God rewards those who mourn for their sin. 
Notice here, it doesn't say you might be comforted or you might have the kingdom of heaven or the meek shall inherit the earth. You might inherit the earth. It doesn't say that. These are situations that with the position comes the promise. And for the humble, wow, it's the kingdom of God. And for the, those who mourn, it's comfort. Now, one of the things that I have found, I tell people, I don't want anyone counseling me who has not suffered. I may have told, my wife is with me today. She's, uh, I'm keeping her with me <laughs> for a reason. She underwent uh, triple bypass surgery recently, and so I have to keep her with me so I can monitor everything and, and make sure she's comfortable and so forth. But she has a perfect set of teeth. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Dentists that we would go to, you know, when uh, the family didn't, wasn't quite that blessed, and when it was time for us to go to the dentist, you know, we'd all be, and my wife saying, what's the problem? It's just the dentist. <laughs> just once, you know, I wanted her to hear the zing of that machine and to smell the fires of hell coming out. <laughs> so that she would understand <laughs> And what the rest of us go through. <laughs> because when you have suffered, then you have found the comfort of God. And also, you, you uh, can comfort others with the comfort whereby you've been comforted, the Bible tells us. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that's a problem, people. I hear people say, yeah, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth, six feet of it. You know. Unfortunately... This word rhymes with weak. And people have a tendency to think, then that's really what it's saying. Blessed are the Mr. Milk Toasty types of people. Well, I mean, God saves Mr. Milk Toasty types too. I'm not making fun of that, but that's not what it's meaning. A person who is meek is one who has his power under complete control. My grandfather, on whose farm I was born, uh, had, uh, had captured some wild horses, and he had broken a few of them. But when they, uh, I'll explain, he had tamed them. Maybe if you're not a horse person, it sounds like he cut them in two or something. No. Uh, he tamed them. That's a, that's a better word to use. But when he first had them in the corral, I'll never forget, man. You could hear them out there. Whack, bam, clackety, clack. Boing, whap, clackety, clack, you know. And when he tamed them, they were just as powerful as they had been before, but their power was not destructive anymore. Their power went into good use there on the farm. And what happens is when you are a person who is meek, God blesses you with power, and whatever power you have, and there is power in the blood, we sing about that, you use it for benefit rather than for destruction. It's all the difference in the world. God surrounded me when I was in college. I was planning to be a, I was majoring in chemistry, planning to be a doctor, a brain surgeon, actually. Be thankful. 
And God surrounded me with an interesting bunch of guys, a bunch of over-the-road truck drivers. I mean, these were big, tough dudes, you know. And I loved those guys, and they kind of kept reins on me. God knew what I needed. And they would pray with me as God was dealing with me and so forth. But uh, I thought, you know, these guys weren't always saved. And before they became followers of Jesus, there was destruction along the road where they had been. But once they became followers of Jesus, the most interesting thing is there were believers in every truck stop now where they went because of who they were. They were men with great power under complete control. I'm sad to say that the last one of those men just passed away this summer, and, and I will sorely miss going by to see him now. But the memory is there of what they have done with their meekness, you see. So it isn't weakness in any sense of the world. In fact, it takes great strength to be in control. I have to tell you this, and this bothers me a bit. There's a preacher in a certain denomination in a certain town, and I won't name it, who's called the pistol-packing preacher. And so uh, he encourages everybody to, you know, bring a... You know, be trained, have a pistol, bring it to church, which I, I'm a little afraid of, depending on how I preach on a given time, or, <laughs> or whether I touch a nerve or something of that sort. And one night, this was in the newspaper, he was sleeping in his church. Now, I'm a cynical kind of guy, and I'm thinking, oh, he wants to find out how his congregation feels. <laughs> I know, isn't that mean? you got to pray for me. I have thoughts like that. But he was awakened by a burglar. He shot him. And things have gotten real quiet now. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I was thinking, you know, uh, his power isn't really under control. No, nothing, no building or stuff is worth the life of even a burglar, you know. But anyway... Meekness, great power under complete control. Just one other little story. You know, when they are in these foundries and they're building uh, uh, parts for automobiles, they can take a, take a sheet of steel or maybe tinfoil, depending on what your car is made out of, and lay it down on top of a mold and it'll be flat. And then they press a button and down will come with awesome power. Whomp! This press and it lifts up, man, and now here's a hood or, or, or a fender or something like that. And you, you'd think that is, oh, that power is crazy. But I found out that during their lunch hour, they can crack pecans with it because it is under such complete and instant control. I would personally have them crack the pecans for me. I would not do it. But that's really what meekness is all about. And those who are meek, you know, we think it's those who are the most powerful who are going to inherit the earth, but that's not true. It's going to be the meek, and that's hopefully us. And happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, uh, I, we've had four children at our house. Now we've got eight great-grandchildren. Man, we're having so much fun with them. But I marvel at how you don't have to teach a baby to eat. You notice that? They just know. <laughs> it's what scientists call instinct. Now, in evolutionary terms, where did instinct come from? 
how many generations had to die before there was instinct. So God puts that in them, and, and a child just hungers. As a new being, man, it wants food. And we who come to know the Lord as new beings in him, we just want the food of the gospel. Boy, I want to hear it. I love the fact that when there was the Jesus Movement revival, they had it every night because the people who were getting saved wanted it every night. I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it. And, and I like that and love that kind of hunger. But also this means, blessed are they who hunger for right to be obtained, for right to come about. So it's a double thing. It's righteousness for ourselves, and it's for right to be happening, for the right thing to happen. And the beautiful thing is we have the promise there. It will it'll happen. It'll be fulfilled. Wow. What a great teaching from Jesus and how different from the physical activity of the law. They thought he's telling you something more than what they'd ever heard before. All they'd ever heard was the law. Just a little thing I'm going to kick with. You know, there are people who say, we ought to have the Ten Commandments in every courthouse or something like that. I disagree with that. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? They're an indictment. (laughs) It's like you dirty dog you you know what I want there I want the nature of God the father from Exodus 34 where he said he was a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in mercy and faithfulness mercy to thousands forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin that's the message that can change people and so here what was just practicing the law now becomes something internal and spiritual and that was vastly different from what they had ever understood before ah and happy are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy (laughs) Uh, do you ever get tired of giving mercy do you ever kind of think look I've given you enough mercy now. But something that that gets through to me every once in a while and really kind of bothers me inside. God loves people. I have a dear friend in Africa. They put even T-shirts out that say this, people are people. That sounds simple. But that's a real problem, isn't it? Wouldn't you rather have people be a little bit better than that? But people are people. And they'll disappoint you, and they will uh, hurt you, and they will act nasty. And so what's our job? Hit them. Slap them around. No, 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 no. We offer the only thing that the rest of the world doesn't understand, and that's mercy. And mercy is the thing that can change someone. Oh, the stories I have heard and the people I know who live near me who tell me what their life was like and the thing that rescued them was merciful people. Mercy being issued to him. My, the guy that takes care of my pool for me is a Baptist pastor from Mexico. And he got saved <laughs> in jail when he really found that the mercy of God was for him and now he serves a wonderful church 
and he serves me too, for which I'm glad we have fellowship out there. I kind of feel bad going out and watching him work, but not too bad. <laughs> Mercy is more powerful than we will ever know, but the beautiful thing is there's a promise attached to it that says, you shall obtain mercy. And that's true. And I like mercy. <laughs> I want to always obtain mercy, and there's a way to do it, and it's a guarantee. And you're happy, really, when you are merciful, because you know you've done something good for someone God loves and is trying to get to, maybe. But it certainly changes you, too. Hmm. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this is a problem when, because when I first read this, you know, I'm thinking, well, I might not be there quite yet with this purity thing. You know. There may be a few things left remaining inside me that I would not necessarily think of as being purity of heart. And, you know, it just keeps you thinking that God's looking at you like saying, oh, boy, you know. I'm appointing another angel, especially trained in karate, just for you, buddy. No, no. An alternative translation of this, an understanding of it that I would like to share with you that I think is really right on. Blessed are those who, who are not of a divided heart. They have set their life on a pilgrimage. It's like... I choose to go this way. There's purity in my goal. There's purity in my thinking. And this is, this is spoken of in the Psalms, blessed is the man whose heart is in, on pilgrimage, whose, whose life is on pilgrimage with the Lord. In other words, I know where I'm going. I want to go there, and I've set my heart that way. Now, God is very understanding of us. He knows that we're made out of mud. And he knows that we are not going to be in the flesh perfect. But he knows who he is, and he knows what he wants for you, and he knows that if you're headed his way, you got his protection, man. Uh, all of my children, as they uh, learn to walk and run, I've noticed something about me and that my relationship with them. If they have misbehaved and are running from me and fall, I might let them stay there for a while. No, let them get up by themselves. But if they are running toward me and fall, I'm right there. And this is just saying, look, keep running toward me keep an undivided heart I know you're human you're made out of flesh I've got you covered for that the blood of Jesus Christ God's son keeps on cleansing us literally from all sin but, but set your heart on pilgrimage set your heart toward God have a purity of purpose and something good happens when, that happens. when we do that we'll see God now one thing you will see as your heart is set toward him is he will show up in ways in your life that you didn't know he could. He likes to surprise you with little things. He likes to show up and cause you to think, oh, wow, how did you do that, God? That's good. You'll see him in things that others won't see. 
you'll find yourself when God has done something for you and others say, oh, that was, isn't it great that that happened? And you're thinking, oh, you, I prayed for that. Jesus did that for me. Oh, really? It's, it's a good thing. I, I love to tell people of the miracles that I see in my life and I can't, I can't count them. I can't remember them all. When I get to heaven, if you'll spend time with me, I'll tell you every last one of them and I'll want to hear yours. Because I hope you understand that you're a library, you know. And I can't read your library on this life. I, even with my wife, you know, we've, uh, in, in Thanksgiving, are going to celebrate, at least I will, uh, 58 years of marriage, you know. And I still don't know that lady. She keeps revealing things to me. There's a book out, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, that's why it takes a lifetime of marriage to get to try to know somebody. I understand there's a book out, it's real thick, you know, that uh, what men know about women. The thing is, it's, it's blank pages. <laughs> but when I get to heaven, I'll get to know you. I, I, I we'll know even as we are known, and, and I'll get to sit down with you and you with me, and I can hear your story. I love to hear people's stories as it is. Often when people are are uh, picking me up at an airport somewhere, and maybe they were the only one with a car, and so they met me, and they said, he's short, fat, bald, and ugly, and wears suspenders. And they always find me. <laughs> and I get in the car, and I don't know them. They don't know me. And we've got maybe an hour and a half of driving. And I'll say to them, hey, we're going to be neighbors here for a while. Why won't we, don't we be friends? Tell me your story. And you know what they say? I don't have a story. I said, well, I don't know, maybe, but... Tell me something. Tell me what's been happening in your life. Well, where do you want me to start? I say, start anywhere you would like. I want to hear it. And in 30 minutes, I want him to stop the car so I can do cartwheels, man. The stories I hear, I think, I look at him and I say, you are a trophy of God's grace and mercy, man. Thank you for telling me this. And they, did, they get excited too because they didn't, weren't paying attention to how much God had done for them. But you will begin to see God when you have this purpose in your life that says, I want to head his way. I, I want to do his work. Now, let me keep going here because it gets more exciting. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. <laughs> well, first of all, if you are trying to make peace, usually someone will tell you, you're a Christian, aren't you? You know. That you don't have to say, well, the reason I did this is because I'm a Christian. They'll know. They'll know. And sometimes when you are in a situation where a person is himself not at peace, maybe a certain damage has occurred or what have you, and for reasons they will never know or may not know, you stop to help or you jump in to help and you discover that you have set some peace into their life. They may even ask you, are you Jesus? I had a couple of students who are involved in ministry and have been now for a long time. They're back long enough to retire. <laughs> That's how old I am. I, on the day Damien was operated on, I celebrated the 48th anniversary of my 30th birthday. But in one of the classes that I taught at a university, I required them to do a communication project 
that would be church-related or Christian-oriented and the like. And they had heard me teach about the nature of Jesus and some ways that he probably was comfortable with children and children with him. And so they decided to do something that I'll, I'll never forget. It makes me want to weep sometimes. They sewed uh, a robe for me with a few colors in it. And I had a beard back then, you know, that uh, I kind of miss it every once in a while. With my beard, I could usually have additional food. <laughs> and it became my wife's job <laughs> to take care of me, bless her heart. But they wanted me to go, they would park where they would not be noticed and have a camera going inside a van and go to a playground where children were with that robe and my beard and I had hair, just go and lay down on the ground and see what happened. It's hard for me to tell you this story in mass. They ran over and squatted down and started asking me questions and, and just wanting to touch me, you know. And I was telling them how great they were and how much God loved them and so forth and how glad I was to meet them. And then I said, well, it's time for me to go. And, you know, they began to ask me if I was Jesus. And I said, I'm, I'm a good friend of his. But they didn't want me to leave. And I thought, I get down into their world and I try to bless them by telling them who, uh, how I think God sees them and so forth. And, and they, were, they were saying things to me that I'm not worthy to hear, you know. And I think that will happen when you begin to tell people how God views them and you really try to be a peacemaker in their lives. And they'll call you Christians. They'll call you children of God. <laughs> well, don't you hate the way this ends? <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look, way back here, I think that started off. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's go back there. There was a famous preacher who, in his writings, and I read it, and I sort of bought into what he was saying, that this was like a, a scale as you did the first, then you got to the second, and finally you got to the top of the mountain or the top of the ladder or whatever of Christian life. And I don't believe that anymore because it, that means that you leave the first one and then you leave the second and leave the third one. No, I think you're there. All of this is happening at the same time in your life. You don't quit hungering and thirsting for righteousness but just because you discovered mercy and you don't quit being... Uh, poor in spirit just because you've reached meekness and things of that sort. It's just there, and all of the miracles associated with that are going on in your life during that time. And now, of all things, with all of that good stuff happening in our lives, he says, happy are you when you're persecuted? All right, now there we might let, why don't we just say blessed? Let's go back to blessed. No. What do you mean happy when you're persecuted? Well, we are not very much persecuted in our country. We're only imaginarily persecuted, 
really. We see situations and we think, oh, they're persecuting. No, they're not persecuting. We're, we're really pretty free people, actually. They may politically mess with us a bit, but we're free people. We're not being persecuted and thrown in jail because we are followers of Jesus. In some places, they are. If you just carry a Bible, they'll throw you in jail and won't try you. You just stay there, you know. So we really don't understand persecution that much. But keep in mind that when Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray, and it so happened there, had, there was a guy there who had been a cripple all his life, I guess. And he's saying, alms, please. And they said, look, silver and gold, <laughs> we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he did, man. And he is jumping up and down and hanging on to Peter and John. And they're saying, no, 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 we're just human beings. See, they still lived in the understanding of their humility and poor of spirit. No, we're just, we're just human beings. It's Jesus. And they, that, they wouldn't let it. He just, it's Jesus that's done this for you. Well, the leaders, back to the Pharisees. Call them in. Why did you do this? It's almost like they're saying, that's our cripple. Why didn't you leave him alone? <laughs> they ignored the good. But they warned them, don't you use that name again. They said, look, should we obey God or you? But now they're in trouble. They've been really noticed. And they go back to a baby church. Now, if I were those two guys, I'd have been thinking along the way, you know, I don't know if we should tell them. They're all such young Christians. They don't know. This might discourage them. They may go home and so forth. No, they went back and spilled the beans, so to speak. Hey, guess what, guys? We're in trouble. <laughs> oh, thank you. No. You know what happened? With one voice. They began to quote the scripture song too, you know. Lord, you've said this and look at this. They're doing exactly as you said. Mm. Now, my next words would have been, now God, get them. Teach them a lesson. Give the chief priests Nausea and lockjaw at the same time. <laughs> Evil mind here. Or palsy and arthritis at the same time. But this baby church had caught an understanding of what it was like now that persecution had begun, and their response was reach forth your hand to heal and give us boldness to preach your word. Wow. And even John and Peter on the way home, they were so excited that we've been counted worthy <laughs> to be persecuted or suffer for him. Man. But this isn't finished. There's one more statement in this that really is fascinating to me. It tells us how happy we're supposed to get. <laughs> the, the, all of the others don't have this kind of, uh, he spends more time with this one. He says, 
Blessed or happy are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, what if I were to throw a party and invite you to come? And I say, now, I've hired some people to say nasty things about you and to revile you and to hit you and do things like that. Would you come? No. But here's a party Jesus offers us when we are willing to suffer for him and are persecuted for him. He even tells us, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, what does exceeding glad look like? Well, let me tell you, it's more than we understand with our modern language. That would mean jump up and down, shout, run around, touch the ground, do cartwheels, whatever you can do, make people think you're crazy happy. Really? Over persecution? It makes no sense. But you've got to understand, all of this that I have shared with you to the carnal mind makes no sense. But to the spiritual mind that says, oh, I have set my, my cart <laughs> on this pilgrimage, my heart on this pilgrimage. The things that happen along the way that prove that this wasn't just a recommendation. Now, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit because they might this, you know. Happy are the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they may see some righteousness once or twice in their lives. No. This not only is what Jesus is telling us would be good for us to be, but he's also saying, look what's going to happen. You're going to be so happy. You won't be able to discover it. Now, I get a little bit happy once in a while when, uh, you know, when an ice cream cone comes along. I get a little bit happy, you know, when uh, my taxes go down. Well, no, not quite, because it means I'm not making anything anymore. But that's no happiness. That's temporary happiness compared to the happiness God has for you. And it's a promise. It's a promise. So, <laughs> let's get happy. <laughs> There was a song that came out uh, that I forgot. It was written by a guy from Jamaica, I think, and so forth. Uh, and and I, I, I liked it almost as a hymn, you know. But, but come on and be happy, be happy, be happy. Well, the world doesn't know how to do that, but we do. We've got the directions right here. Well, you want to be happy? Come here. Let me just read this to you. And the world will say, I don't think I want to be that happy. But for us, who know? Yeah. This is where joy is. So, you ready to be happy? Well, I've arranged some persecutions. No. <laughs> oh, but, I, you know, I, I got to tell you, that I've, I've said this to you. I've never in my life spoken, and I've spoken to really hundreds of thousands of people. I have never spoken to a governor. I've never spoken to a president. I've never spoke. The highest I've ever spoken to was a, a member of Congress. He was a representative from Southern California. And he was happened to be in the audience. I didn't know he was in the audience. I, I, should, I, knew, I knew something was wrong because he was dressed fit to kill. 
And I made some snide remark about politics, which I often do, and nobody laughed. Oh, and I know, uh-oh. So afterward, I'm in a hall, and he, they bring him up to me and introduce me. This is Representative so-and-so. <clears throat> he wants to talk to you about what you said. I said, look, I'm sorry, I apologize. No. Next time I spoke at that church, he was there, and I knew him. I went after him. I'm explaining what an oxymoron is, mutually exclusive terms like honest politician. Well, he came to see me again after service. What do I have to do to keep you from impugning my, my reputation or my whatever, you know? And I say, well, have authenticity, have righteousness that can't be impugned. Oh, okay. The next morning in the L.A. Times front page, they caught him. And he lost his position, man. He was, he was corrupt and so forth. Now, I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> Somehow it tied in, but I forgot how. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is, this that God offers us is authentic. It's real. And it's not to be feared, it's to be pursued to pray for right things to happen and to seek righteousness for yourself and to mourn over sins and the things that uh, hurt people because you'll be comforted. Mm. What could we pray for for our country right now that would produce comfort? Something to think about. It'll have to do with God. It won't have to do with politics. Well, I don't want to let you go, you know, all down. Oh, boy. All you're going to think about is persecution, I know. When really there's happiness all along the way. And it surrounds you even as you walk. And it doesn't mean, oh, no, I've left poor of spirit. Now I'm up into this. No, 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 no. It's all together, folks. And God has all of these multiple methods of happiness waiting on you all at the same time. Isn't that great? Well, I thought it was. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. Thank you. Now I'll let you go home. <laughs> Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can find secrets in your scripture that really aren't secrets. They're written there for everybody to see, but we sometimes just discover them late. And Father, I thank you that if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, that they will realize that life is only in you and the things that before they might have feared with you, they become victories. And I pray that you will cause them to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Gail Irwin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Gail's teaching ministry by visiting servant.org.